Welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, joined by Bryce Rossler and James Weaver of the football R&D team here at SIS, along, as always, with our producer, Justin Stein. If you missed it last week, you can check it out. It's definitely still relevant content. We talk to people from both the equal side of things and the chief side of things to get the beat reporter type breakdowns on what we could expect from this matchup. Now, we'll zoom back out a little bit, get back to the usual research team and talk about what we expect to see in this game and what we're looking out for as the key matchups here. So without further ado, Bryce, you wrote about this this week for the 33rd team. Tell us what you were looking at. Let's start there and hear about what you think is going to be the, the key matchup coming here. So I wrote about the different offensive schemes for each team and how they're kind of two sides of the same coin to the extent that they both leverage their personnel extremely well. Let's start with the Eagles. So the Eagles are a really interesting team to a lot of people because of the way that their roster is constructed. The whole rookie contract quarterback thing has been a big talking point for people. And they're kind of a a death star on offense. They've got two really good wide receivers in A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. I think Dallas Goddard is a really underrated tight end. Definitely think he's top 10 in the league right now. Maybe top five, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you can definitely make a case for top five. They've got probably the best offensive line in the league. And... Yeah, when you pull up their depth chart on, on 33rdteam.com, it's, it's all orange. It's all it's all top of the line players, and four of their offensive linemen are in the top two in their position in total points. I mean, that's it's a re- it's the most dominant offensive line I think we've ever seen in the SIS era. Yeah, that that tracks to me. And Jalen Hurts has been very productive this year from a total points standpoint. He's I think he's fifth in passing total points this year, but I I wouldn't put him as a top five quarterback. I think he's an above average win with quarterback that excels at several different things. For sure. I think for sure. He's, he's, I don't think he's the reason why the Eagles win games. I think it's, they're clearly built to, to have a win with quarterback and, and he's been exactly that for them. And I mean, he's obviously had a top five type season. That doesn't make you a top five type player. Probably had a top two type season, right? If we're really going into it, I didn't think he was going to be that good. He's become more accurate. Alex wrote a really great piece. Alex Figerman about him staying away from throwing the ball in high pressure situations where it's kind of either he's either running with it or he's throwing from a clean pocket and that's going to help too. But that, that, you know, to what you're saying, he's built to be a part of that system rather than sort of the other way around. Yeah. He, he does afford them some things at a high level that not every quarterback can do. Obviously he's a very good runner. They've built their run game with that in mind. 40, 43% of their runs have some sort of quarterback run element, whether whether it's an option play or it's a, a design keep. He ranked eighth in the league in rushing total points this year. And I also think another thing he's really good at is throwing the deep ball. They have had a lot of success on downfield throws this year, specifically on throws outside the number. I think he's really good at throwing goes and fades. It helps that he has A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, of course, but they ranked second in the league in EPA per attempt on throws deep and outside the numbers. But I think everywhere else, he's he's kind of average. And 
you see that with the way their passing game is designed. They're a big two-by-two team, so two receivers on each side of the formation. They do a lot of West Coast stuff that's pretty basic, like slant flat. And then you also see that a lot of these concepts are designed for him to pick one side to read based on the coverage and get the ball out. Okay, so let me pause you for a second, because you, you kind of teased at the top that you were juxtaposing how these teams work differently from one another. Let's break it down for the listeners a little bit. What What is the relevance of the Eagles being this heavy two-by-two two team versus the Chiefs who incorporate so much of that three-by-one type of stuff? The relevance is that they're pretty static on offense. They don't motion a lot. and They are number 31 in the league in, in the amount of motion that they use. Yep, and if you talk to a defensive coordinator at, at any level, really, Two by two is generally regarded as a little bit easier to defend because the distribution is balanced. You don't have to worry about getting overloaded on one side. You're not necessarily getting into a bunch of crazy coverage checks. You're in like the base of whatever your scheme is, as opposed to an adjustment that your scheme is having to make to account for that that three by one. Right. But the benefit on offense for that is that you can have those concepts where you say have like a a two high beater on one side and a single high beater on the other side or a man or a zone beater on one side and you can kind of simplify things for the quarterback whereas in a lot of three by ones it can be some of the some of the reads can be a little more involved i would say so it's more complexity kind of on both sides the offense and the defense it's it's more complexity on on both sides when an offense is in three by one. So what the Eagles basically do is they simplify things by keeping it two by two, minimizing the amount of motion that they have. They kind of have the multi back thing. They try to attack you with the run game and look for basically simple matchups. Right? We have an answer for zone on one side of the field. We have an answer for man on the other side of the field. And like you're saying, that's made it I think simpler for for Jalen Hurts and that simplicity has allowed him to really excel and and do uh, I think what Alex was writing about. And and I would add that even though the passing offense is relatively simple by NFL standards, they do they do a lot of stuff to make it not as easy to defend. Like yes, they're in they're in 2 by 2 and theoretically that's easier to defend, but they do a lot of different stuff in the run game. Obviously, they have the quarterback run game, but they'll They'll run zone, they'll run gap scheme. So yes, the passing offense is a little bit simple, but they've got a, as a whole, they're a little difficult to defend, especially with the personnel they've got. Yep. And it's remarkable how well they mix up the the gap and the zone stuff. They're the sixth best team in the NFL in terms of efficiency on gap runs. They're number one in efficiency on zone runs. They're positive EPA both gap runs and zone runs. I can't recall ever seeing a team with a positive EPA over the course of an entire season on zone runs specifically. So gives you an idea of how balanced they are and also how good they are with both of those. And I think a lot of time what else they're doing, and this speaks to what you're saying about the complexity to run is not always equal to the complexity to defend. They're forcing defenses to play man against them at the highest rate in the league. And when you've got the sort of weapons that they have, that's a really tough. That's a really tough thing to defend, and it's because of the quarterback being involved in the run game and how that gives you an extra man, and that it, it sort of limits what you can do there. So they handcuff people. They make you choose between two bad decisions, and they're able to expose that pretty well. James, I wanted to get you in here. We kind of we we went off and running. What's what's your take on this one? 
Yeah, no, it was definitely a good listen there to, to break some things down and learn some things. I would say the most of the work that I've been doing in taking a look at has been the offensive line. As you alluded to earlier, Matt, this is the best offensive line that we've seen in the total points era at SIS going back to 2016. They've just been dominant on all fronts. Jason Kelsey, obviously the, the try and true leader, leads all offensive linemen with 56 total points this year. And he's been the, the dominant anchor for the team. And then break it out, you have Lynn Dickerson, who was a second round steal, I guess to say, back in that 20, uh, 2020 draft or 2021 draft, excuse me, where he had come in from being hurt at Alabama. And then the Eagles were able to snatch him up late in the second round and put him in a guard. And he's he's been an all pro. And then, yeah, Lane Johnson, who's been playing with a torn groin, which cannot feel good at all by any stretch of the imagination. It's one of the most ridiculous. Like the Mahomes stuff has been amazing. That's been probably like equally amazing what he's doing there and the type of men that he's having to to fight off with. uh, Yeah, it doesn't even doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute challenge to try to uh, try to block Nick Bosa at 100% health, let alone being able to move at about 30%, and they were able to handle it. So all credit to him. He's also been been up there at the top. And yeah, just the push they've been getting, and also the schematics too, um, with the RPO game. A little bit of a look into in their game against the 49ers and what they were able to do to Fred Warner and just let him literally stand there like a statue and reading Hurts and making him make a read three seconds into the play when Miles Sanders blows past him obviously serves well for them in general. So it'll be a good matchup with, with Chris Jones, obviously, who's defensive player of the year finalist to see if, if they can get up any pressure up front. It'll be a good match to see Kelsey against, against Jones. One thing I'm interested to see is Chris Jones lined up a little bit differently rather from his inside spot against the Bengals um, to get some better matchups. The only issue is, I guess with the Eagles, there's not much of a better matchup you can get with having top five linemen at every single spot. So it'll be interesting to see they use him. They do blitz a lot, obviously, with the Steve Spagnuolo defense. They are second in the league in terms of blitzing six or more guys at once or bringing six or more as a pressure standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of exotic blitzes they bring and try to confuse Hurts or whatever. Yeah, I definitely think you're onto something there because I think it's true when you look at it that Spags isn't going to sit back and read things and let you kind of dictate what he's doing defensively. He's going to try to turn you over. He might allow some big plays to you here and there, but eventually if he can steal a couple of possessions, that's that's the goal. That's the, the MO of that Chiefs defense. And kind of funny because I think it's actually both sides of the ball, really. Like we we talked about Mahomes being just, you know, the best player kind of against the best team here and the sort of team defense that the Eagles have. Flip it around. It's Chris Jones who's really the star on this Chiefs defense with going up against, you know, like you said, the depth of the Eagles offensive line. I think it'll be really interesting to see how Spags comes out and attacks them. I think they should be excited to have Legereus Sneed back because he's just a, a very necessary part of what they can do back. I know they play all these rookies and they've been good, but I don't know how sustainable that one would be. No, yeah, for sure. Having Sneed back, having Sneed back is huge. Bringing some leadership and, and more of a veteran presence back in their secondary with like all the rookies that they play. So bringing him off the edge will be something to watch for as well. Seeing if he can get a sack or two to maybe make a game-changing play. It'll be interesting to watch. I will note that the last time the Chiefs played A.J. Brown, Sneed gave up two catches for 70 yards to him. Take that for what it's worth. Is that good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. Right. Well, it should be interesting. The Chiefs play the most field open coverage in the league. 
they definitely want to split things out into into two sides of the field and, and deal with you that way. They'll also rush, you know, like you mentioned before, they'll blitz. They they run six or more rushers, the second most in the league. So so really true blitzes where they'll where they'll come at you. Like I said, they're trying to turn you over. They're trying to confuse you. They're trying to disguise everything. It should be a sort of interesting cat and mouse game. One thing that I think you know, if the Eagles really can control the ball, just kind of with their run game. I think that could make it into a very long day for, for the Chiefs. And, and I think the Eagles will want to do that. They'll want to make this a low possession game, try to dictate the tempo of things offensively, try to not let the Chiefs turn them over. And if they can make it into a, you know, an eight possession game, then I think the Eagles got to like their chances a lot better than if each team's, you know, has the ball 12 times. Yeah, I think I agree with that. The, we are talking about the two best offenses in the league from an EPA per play standpoint, but the, Chiefs EPA per play is more than double that of the Eagles offense. I don't think anybody really wants to get in a, a pissing match with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, although not positive EPA on either gap runs or zone runs. Like I said, that's pretty unheard of. So that's something worth noting. But, you know, top EPA in the league in shotgun under center with motion, third without motion. They're pretty good. Second against man, second against zone. The Chiefs do a lot. So, yeah, let's let's move there because you, you teased again off the top, Bryce, some of the similarities and some of the differences that these offenses have. That's one that you touched on with the Eagles being a, a no-motion team. The Chiefs are a heavy-motion team, third in the NFL in mo- with motion, and like I said, the, the most efficient team when they use it. What do you notice about, about how they use that motion, uh, what that has to do with Travis Kelsey and, and how he's deployed? Yeah, they, they move Kelsey around a lot pre-snap. The interesting thing I noticed watching Chiefs film was they are a big three by one team. They are, I think, fifth in the league in in three by one usage. But Kelsey this year has played a lot more on the strong side of the formation. Last year he was typically their their X receiver that single on that single C receiver side. The rate at which he's done that this year has been cut in half almost. 30% in 2021, 18% this year. I would have to think that part of that is the absence of Tyree Kill. But well, yeah, that- I mean, like his his role is really changed in a lot of ways. Like it's funny because the Chiefs are sorry to cut you off, but like it's funny because they're uh, like a quote unquote 12 personnel team right now, right? They're third in the league in the use of the of 12 personnel and, and fourth in the amount of 13 personnel, but not really because Kelsey's a receiver. And yes, he can do things that, that make him super valuable from a mismatch perspective. But with without Tyreek Hill, and especially with all the injuries that they've had lately at the wide receiver position, his role is is really a different position than it was in the Tyreek Hill on it. Yeah, and I I think that to your point, he can, you know, it's not that he's a complete liability as a blocker. They will still run some wing stuff. But when they when they go into that 12 personnel with Gray as their second tight end, they like to use Gray as more of a pass protector. They'll do a lot of play action shot plays out of that 12 personnel. And Kelsey's not really the the guy they want blocking. They don't put him as the inside tight end when they do go, when they actually put him at tight end in 12 personnel. He's the outside guy. So yeah, that, that 12 personnel is a little bit misleading. I would be interested interested to know how opposing defensive coordinators classify that 12 personnel versus 11 personnel with Kelsey as the lone tight end. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, they definitely present some interesting, I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't at the end of the day in terms of, in terms of how you're, you're going up against them. It's, it's, it's just, uh, he, he makes things very difficult on you, whichever, whichever you do. But, uh, yeah, there are some, I think, lesser analysts out there that wouldn't appreciate the nuance of what do you, how do you treat Kelsey defensively, which is a really tough thing anytime you're going up against a player like that. Bryce, what else can you tell us about the Chiefs offense? So as you said, they're a big three by one team. And when they, when they go into three by one with Kelsey and treat him as sort of a, a fourth receiver or a third receiver, depending on how you want to look at it, he's, he's uh, their best skill position player by far. So maybe you, you would even say first receiver, but when they have the, that three by one look and nobody's in a, a traditional tight end alignment, they're, extremely pass heavy. We're talking like 92 or 93% pass out of those looks, which includes two of their three most common formations on offense, which you might look at and say, okay, that's extremely predictable, but they they do a ton of stuff out of that. They might they might be passing all the time out of it, but the variety in their concepts and the ways they're attacking the defense in those looks is extremely varied. If it was as simple as Knowing whether it would be a run or a pass, I'm sure defensive coordinators would rest a lot easier at night, but they'll do all sorts of stuff. They get Kelsey on choice routes, Andy Reid runs a lot of designer plays specifically to test individual teams' coverage rules. They'll run... So that's really something that I think could be an interesting sort of storyline here. Is So you said, watch out when you see three by one with the running back to the one receiver side, right? That's, yep. that's a big pass tell is what you said. Yep. And to the extent that I think you see that, I think you can, you can sort of start to figure out why that causes so many issues, especially I, I look for that number three receiver to the three receiver side, the most interior guy being able to do stuff crossing over the field and sort of messing up some of your split field coverages by, by playing with that ability there. That's something that I could see. I could see big plays coming out of that because you get so concerned about their flood con- flood concepts and things like that. And sometimes you can lose that guy, especially when it's one of their faster players that 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 they align in that in that number three role. Yeah, and it's really annoying because when you get into the split field stuff and you're you're trying to bracket say Kelsey as that innermost guy, they can just decide they want to run like short intermediate stretch concepts and have him like run a stick or some other kind of choice route and he'll just abuse the linebacker. Like you said, he can run crossers, he can run deep. There there's the the diversity in his route tree, especially from that three slot, is very annoying because he can literally go anywhere. He can use your your pre-snap leverage against you. It's just uh for lack of a better term, a complete pain in the ass. Yeah, I look at it I don't think this game ends up coming down to whether or not Kelsey's going to get his. I think Kelsey's going to get his pretty much oh, one yeah. way or another. Where where I look at what the really key matchup is when the Chiefs have the ball is can they keep Mahomes clean? Keeping him clean, and now we don't really know exactly what his injury status is going to be, how well he'll be moving back there. If he's not moving well, they'll need to get the ball out of his hands quickly, figure out ways that they can help offset some of the difficulties there. If it's... If he's doing a little bit more, you know, he can drop back and he can kind of protect himself the way he has. The Chiefs are very good up the middle in their offensive line. Their offensive line is very much built inside out with Joe Tooney and Creed Humphrey up in there, two of the best at their positions. 
but it gets a little bit weaker when you talk about Orlando Brown, sometimes susceptible to the speed rush at left tackle. And for me, the guy that I look at and I have the real magnifying glass on in this game is, is Andrew Wiley, the right tackle of the Chiefs, who I think is kind of their, their weak link from an offensive line perspective. And we've seen what Hassan Reddick has meant to the Eagles defense this year. He's been absolutely unbelievable. And if they can isolate him, they can isolate Sweat, Cox, you know, some of the guys that they have that are, that are really tough. I think that that'd be the one thing that makes me nervous from a Chiefs perspective. Combine that with, I don't know if the Chiefs will be able to get any sort of a running game going. Maybe we get Edwards Alaire back in there. Maybe they can show a little bit more commitment to Pacheco. But if it's just a, a drop back city, then it becomes really, really difficult to expect Andrew Wiley and Orlando Brown to not get Mahomes into trouble. And if he's hobbling around back there, then I, I think there could be a real path where, where the Eagles could win this game. Yeah, and I will also note that the Eagles had the quickest snap to pressure time in the league this year. Right. So it's like they get after you and they get after you. It's not just yeah. it's not just like accumulating pressures because you're covering people like that. They get there and they get there quickly. Yep. They get after you. Come at you in waves. James, what do you think? Yeah, I think kind of taking a look at the Eagles secondary too. They haven't had to play anyone threatening in the past like month of football. Playing right. Danny Jones and the Giants will respect him and his growth and whatever. <laughs> I like the way you said that. <laughs> with whatever whatever option of quarterback the 49ers had in the last game. So it, the spotlight's back on them. And, you know, James Bradbury's great has been our second best corner in terms of total points this season. And Darius Slay is not too far behind him, too. So having those two kind of take those reins of, you know, locking down a, a hurt Juju Smith-Schuster or a banged-up Kadarius Tony. They might have some positive matchups on that on that end for them. I, I totally agree with you guys and that Travis Kelsey is going to get what Travis Kelsey gets. So it, it's going to come down to, you know, taking a look at those other receivers and seeing if they can get any matchups leverage on them. And then, yeah, the pass rush is just the, the Eagles pass rush. You have the, the dominant front four. So, yeah, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting. And, and I think I'll be taking a look at more of the Eagles secondary and seeing how, they're, how they hold up and how they can lock down those Chiefs receivers. That's a pretty interesting one. I, I, I just because you said that, I took a look, and uh, since their bye week in week seven, the Eagles have only played two quarterbacks that are what I would call good, and they're uh, Aaron Rodgers, who they gave up thirty three points to, and Dak Prescott, who they gave up forty points. So it is interesting that they're not going to be playing against uh, Mister Irrelevant without his actual shoulder attached. That won't be their matchup, and it won't be Daniel Jones again and again and again. So uh, I think you're onto something there. The, the funny thing with this secondary is all the advanced stats show that Bradbury had just an unbelievable season this year, and I still don't think he's the best corner on the team. I think Darius Slay is just such a game changer back there. Because he can really play man coverage so well, I think it gives them the ability to play man, to play zone, to lock you down in that sense. I'm curious to see how they'll how they'll try to attack Kelsey. Like I said, I don't know if it matters. Maybe they just say, let Kelsey get his and stop everybody else. That might not be the craziest strategy. Right. And then also too, how they deploy John- Chauncey Gardner-Johnson too in the slot. We have those two quick guys and Tony and Sky Moore seeing how they match up against those two. It'd be an interesting piece to see too, how they fit. All right. We've talked this one out. I think we're all just ready to get this game going. So uh, hopefully the listeners are too. Before we get out of here, I'll put you guys on the spot. Bryce, who you got? I got Chiefs. Yeah, I think Mahomes' ankle has looked good enough. I'm not willing to bet against him. That's certainly fair. James, what say you? Got Eagles 31, Chiefs 26. Go with a weird score. Relatively high scoring. I think that that seems like a strong bet to me. It's hard to 
hard to picture this one being a total stalemate unless unless the quarterbacks are just totally unhealthy, one or both of them. So I see that. And what what makes you give the Eagles the edge? If, if Bryce was swayed by Mahomes, you are swayed by? The complete roster. Yep. It's the player against the team. That's the matchup we've been talking about. I will just barely side with Bryce on this one. If I, if I was a betting man, that would be before the season started. The Chiefs were, to me, the most likely team to win the Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes. Here we are six months later, whatever it is. They're still, to me, the most likely team to win the Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes. Now, if anybody who's injured, like a Mahomes, like a Hurts, anytime you're playing coming off an injury, you are more susceptible to injury. So I really hope that these guys can stay healthy throughout the game and and be kind of their best selves because that'll, I think, make a huge difference. But like I said, I think this one comes down to can the Chiefs keep Mahomes clean, whether it's getting the running game going, whether it's just Mahomes being Mahomes and keeping himself clean. That's what I look at when they have the ball and, and making sure that Wiley doesn't get exposed against the Hassan Reddicks of the world. And then I look at on the other side with the Eagles, will they just run and run and run and really shorten this game in terms of when they have the ball or will when they drop back Spags be able to get his? He's such a good big game coordinator. And it's not because he's doing something that's miraculous and special and different because it's the Super Bowl. It's because he's been teaching and puts a premium on teaching a lot of really different coverages and a lot of diversity all year long. He's done it with these young guys that'll be playing in this game. Hopefully it won't be the breakdowns and it'll be the sort of turnover making plays that they can do. But again, that's where it comes down is can it be that on schedule four down football that the Eagles will play? They're going to, they're going to make it a really long day for you in that sense. Or can they get into some third and longs where the Chiefs can create some negative plays for them? I can't wait. Should be awesome. All right. On that note, we will sign off and. Get ready for the Super Bowl. For our producer, Justin Stein, and my guests, Bryce Rossler and James Weaver, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast.